Welcome to Equestrian Movement's First Do No Harm podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boniface, co-founder of Equestrian Movement with Sarah Gallagher. We work with horse riders who want to build a stronger bond and a deeper connection with their horses. In our First Do No Harm podcast, we discuss with other industry professionals how to work with horses to firstly do no harm and secondly support their mental, emotional and physical well-being throughout the training process so that we have horses that enjoy learning and ask to be ridden. Each episode, we discuss the different influences our training can have and how we can improve our horses' overall athleticism, soundness of mind and body, and emotional fortitude, while strengthening and deepening our relationship with our horses. Each week, I will endeavor to bring to you a new episode on horse riding, training, handling and husbandry for an interview with other industry professionals to help you address where and why you might get stuck in creating the beautiful union of dancing souls that is the equestrian sport. Are you ready to kick off today's show? Let's get started. Hey team, Katie here from Equestrian Movement and today we are continuing our conversations around the Power Battle series. And today, the conversation in particular is about medicating our horses. So if we're ever going to accidentally get ourselves entangled in a power battle conversation with our horses, it is when we're trying to medicate them. And if um, you're anything like me, that is the last time you want to be caught up in a power battle with your horse because it's stressful enough without them saying that they don't want you to administer the medication or whatever you have to do treatment-wise for your horse. So having a horse that requires medical treatment is almost inevitable and while we don't wish any big you know terrible scary conditions on any of our horses it is a really good time when it happens to be able to show up for your horse as somebody that can look after them and support them through the healing process even if it is just, you know, your annual vet check visit with your vaccinations or your annual dentistry visit, there are ways that we can support our horse to be accepting and tolerant of these things that, you know, aren't necessarily an enjoyable process and not quite often they're not enjoyable for us. Like if we were to go to the doctor or we were to go to the dentist, we can quite often get like up over threshold ourselves. These kinds of situations you know, the horse is already feeling vulnerable because it's injured and unwell. And so the way that we show up for them can either make the process a little bit easier and a little bit more calming for the horse, knowing that somebody is looking after them and taking care of them while they're vulnerable, or it can escalate it and make it more difficult and the horse more unmanageable. And so I went to a talk um, quite a number of years ago by Andrew McLean. He is quite an amazing um, animal behaviorist. Uh, if you get a chance to go over and have a look at what he does, he's a very interesting man. Um, but he was talking about administering eye drops to an elephant. And <laughs> that story, it really hit me, you know, like we can manhandle and wrestle and power battle all we like with these horses but there is another way there is a way of making it not so difficult on ourselves and not so traumatic on the horses 
if the process can get an elephant to hold its head down and accept eye drops, then we should be doing a better job with our horses. And so basically, you know, the process is clicker training or positive reinforcement. This is where positive reinforcement really comes into its own and it really thrives. I set all my horses up to succeed when they're being managed by vets, fairies and dentists through positive reinforcement because the experience isn't always good right? Like we're, even if like the experience in the po- and the outcome is positive, it doesn't, <laughs> the horses don't enjoy it. They don't want to be medicated. It is uncomfortable for them. So by creating, you know, that situation of positive reinforcement, we are making a situation where the horses are uncomfortable or they're unhappy and can quickly escalate towards being over threshold we can reshape it into a positive situation where they are more accepting and tolerant of the treatment. And then we don't have to get into the power battle at all because we have a horse that is accepting and willing of its treatment and enjoying the process and feeling better for it and feeling cared for while they're vulnerable. Like these are exactly the situations and the scenarios that make and create relationships and and why looking after and caring for a vulnerable, sick, or injured horse can really tie those bonds in stronger and can really build that trust, confidence, and faith in us stronger, even though we don't (laughs) really want to be in that situation ourselves. So we had quite a big flood event um, a couple of months ago, and with excess rain comes veterinary issues needing medication and we had to I can almost guarantee that if we have um, a rain event then Fiddy is at the very least going to get mud fever and if he gets any kind of nick or scratch on him he's also going to get cellulitis (laughs) hands down I reckon Fiddy prefers the penicillin injection over the antibiotic paste every single time. It's such a funny situation because, you know, my previous horse, King, he hated needles. Like, uh, this was before, you know, I had all of these extra skills for managing horses with trauma and um, being able to regulate the nervous system and whatnot. So he would have to get his annual needles at the pony club, you know, in, when I was a kid, we'd take him down to the pony club and he'd get his vet check, he'd dentist, needles, and the, the vet just knew who we were and saw us coming and he would give King like three sedations before he would even deal with him just because of how much he completely lost his lolly at getting all of these things done to him. And so we would have to put him into the little stable yards and the vet would do us first so that he could sedate and then he'd go and do a handful of others and then he'd come back and he'd sedate again and then he would treat King and then I'd have to walk King home drunk, stumbling side to side on the side of the road. Thankfully, small town, so it was fairly safe to have a drunk horse on the side of the road. Um, But he absolutely hated needles and he would tolerate you know his worming pace and other pace with me but initially it was such a battle because he would be rearing up and he'd be striking out and he would just be a complete loony but it was for fear of his safety 
And so I was a small kid. <laughs> he was a small horse as well. Like I wasn't dealing with some 17-hand warm blood. I was dealing with like a 15-one-hand stock horse. So my instructor actually could manhandle him and when we needed him wormed, she would do it. But it got to the point where King and I had a good enough relationship that he could be tolerant of me giving him worming paste. And so, you know, it's so what like really got to me was like listening to this animal behaviorist trying to administer eye drops to an elephant, knowing just how sideways the power battle can go with horses when we're trying to administer medication for them and just being like, oh, you know, this is what we need to be working towards, not trying to control our horse, not trying to force the medication on them, but, you know, developing a level of acceptance and willingness to go through something that's slightly uncomfortable because we're trying to do the best thing for them. And when we're in this situation, that's what we're always doing, right? We get frustrated that we're trying to help our horses and they're carrying on like lollipops, like, come on, I'm trying to help you out. You're sick. You need this antibiotic paste or you need your leg bandaged or whatever it is that they're resisting. It's like, I'm trying to keep you alive here. Why are you fighting with me? And it's really just, you know, the way that we're going into this situation, we actually create the power battle by saying to them, you have to have this let me do it to you or like I'm doing it to you. You have no other options. And so it's not necessarily about having other options. It's about how you can set the like standards for the horse that they can consent and choose to have the treatment. And it's kind of a tricky situation that you have to make sure that you don't get frustrated and impatient. At the very least, you have to try to not emotionally engage with the argument yourself. Kind of like dealing with a toddler. You have to make sure that first, you're not emotionally engaging in the argument. And then second, you're coming to it from a place of an open heart, you know, staying very neutral emotionally at like worst cases, like staying neutral emotionally, best cases, like coming at it with an open heart with love. And then just saying, you know, this is going to happen whether you like it or not. I am impatient. I am as patient as I need to be to wait for you to do what I'm asking you to do. It's not going away, but I would like it if we had some level of cooperation here. And so that's why, you know, our positive reinforcement is really effective, but also like our connection-based training, paying attention to your horse's body language. Um, And so I'm going to go into that a little bit uh, in a moment. But what does consent look like? What does acceptance from your horse look like? What does it look like when they're yesing your ask and they're ready and prepared for you to administer that? medication and doing it then and not rushing them and and forcing them into it. So with Finney, um, when he had his first bout of cellulitis, he didn't respond to the antibiotic pace properly. And so he ended up with a penicillin needle. And anytime he gets a needle, I'm just gobsmacked at just He's completely oblivious to it. When I've had this horse previous to Fiddy just completely lose his lolly over needles and Fiddy doesn't even realize that the needle is going into him. It's just 
so important why we need to factor in their unique personality types is that anytime I'm going to administer a paste to Fiddy, we've we're going to have a power battle. And anytime that I administered a needle to the king, well, I never actually did it. <laughs> Vets had to do it. It was going to be a power battle because of his fear. Anytime we administer a needle to Fiddy, he's like, yeah, whatever. Doesn't even know that it's going in. But it's the paste that he argues over. So you've got to go in with a plan, go in with your shaping plan, be aware of, you know, what the steps are going to be, be aware of what your horse is going to do leading towards that because when we're administering medication, it's not a one and done thing um, like worming and we can forget about it for the next three months. It's uh, you're going to have to be giving this to the morning and night at the very least. You know, when we were doing Billy's eyes, it was every two hours. So if we create negative experience on negative experience on negative experience, then we're going to get stuck in a power battle with our horses over administering the medication. The first few times that we administer the medication to them, we really need to put maximum effort into setting it up. Treat it as a training session to set them up. Even better if you can do this prior to, but obviously we wouldn't be recommending you injecting your horse with needles as a training session. But, um, you know, if we're working on pace and whatnot, you can do it with a sugar paste and, you know, set the routine into them first. But either way, like, though, if you have to medicate your horse, you need to spend, you know, a solid amount of effort and time on those first few treatments to make sure that you're shaping a positive experience for your horse so that you don't get yourself caught up in the power battle for the rest of the treatment required for the particular injury that you're managing. So for Fiddy, like, I've done a lot of work because he's so grumpy. (laughs) He can be such, oh, goodness. He can be just a grump to the vets, like, just really, yeah, not ideal scenario. So I've put a lot of training into how I set him up for acceptance and tolerance of other people and for vets handling him and handling his legs and and whatnot. And so then, you know, we all know that our geldings that start to get a little bit excited and hypervigilant around uh, positive reinforcement can get their flop their doodles out (laughs) so anytime the vet or the farrier comes they're like oh he's excited to see me this is a little bit embarrassing but it's better that he is thinking that it's a positive experience for him than for him to be arguing and and fighting with me and so that follows through into the treatment process so requiring the antibiotic pace twice a day for the cellulitis the scrub of the legs to clean you know that's another thing is if we're dealing with like mud fever and rain scald it's really painful having to pick the scabs off especially if they're you know the big ones that when you pick them they draw blood like you get the big scabs so it is having some compassion and empathy towards the horse that they are uncomfortable and they aren't well and being able to support them through it as well and trying to do it as pain-free for them as possible even though the experience is going to have a little pain involved and a little discomfort. So um, definitely like we 
the first few times of doing the antibiotic paste, you know, there was a little bit of resistance for Fiddy, but because we've been working on this now for quite a while, very quickly there was a level of acceptance and then we can treat and reward. And like I also feed afterwards as well because obviously if we're giving antibiotic paste, you don't want them to have grass or hay in their mouth, but then we also have the ultimate reward of their um, high-value grain dinner. That kind of can be difficult, especially like with worming paste and stuff that don't taste very good because then they don't want to accept the treats afterwards. But um, it's also being able to read them going into the treatment as well, getting them into that state of relaxation, seeing those relaxation cues, waiting for the acceptance, waiting for the yes and not rushing them and pushing them into a yes. And then saying, okay, like, let's do it really. And as quickly as you can, as like, this is where (laughs) some coordination can really help, but setting yourself up to do it as quickly and smoothly and easily as you can so that it is paint like as comfortable, like creating as comfortable as experience for your horse as you can, and then finishing it up really quickly and moving on to your positive reinforcement and your reward. So we did this. We also had the problem with Billy getting his fungal infection in his eye and he needed two hourly treatment um, for the first three days and then four hourly treatment for the next 10 days and it's still on um, at the time of recording this podcast, still on twice daily treatment of his eyes. And so anybody who has ever had to administer eye drops to themselves knows that it's very uncomfortable. Anybody that's ever had to administer eye drops to a horse knows how difficult they can be because as soon as they realize that they can get their head up and out clear and out of the road, then, um, and then we reinforce that, then they just put their head up like giraffes and it becomes near on impossible to get it, get the eye drops into their eyes. And this is where we can really see our horses thrive on routine consistency and follow through. I had one of my lovely students explain to me how to get the eye drops ready so that you could like get the drops in really quickly, have, have the like drop you know, the ointment at the end of the tube ready to go in so that once you had the eye in the right place, you could just put it in. And so once we had uh, that first night of routine set up, we could uh, see like Billy really got into the habit of knowing what was expected of him. I presume that he also would have got some relief from the eye drops itself, but also just making sure that we had relaxation, acceptance and consent first, and then allowing him to say, yep, I'm ready, put the eye drops in, and then treating him afterwards. And he had to have two different eye drops as well. So he'd get the one eye drop, the treat, and then he'd get the second eye drop and the treat. And it was so cute because there's one light in the barn that is very good to be able to see from. It's like the only kind of part of the barn where it's good lighting at night. And so that's where I would put him to do his eye drops. And so I'd catch him, put his halter on, put him into the barn, um, set the eye drops up so that the, the ointment was at the end ready to go in and then open his eye 
treat, open his eye again and then treat again. And so he was in that routine and that consistency. He was doing it every two hours so he knew what was expected of him. And it got to the point, like after a couple of days, I went down to the paddock to catch him and he was getting so good I was just kind of leaving him in the paddock during the day to do it out there. And I put his halter on and he went for a walk and I was like, okay, I'll follow because sometimes the horses, when you put the halter on, they ask to go for a little in-hand adventure or to go find some grass together. And I like them to have that choice and to ask those kinds of questions. So I just followed to see where he would go and he went to the gate. So I let him through the gate thinking, oh, he might be going out to look for some grass and he walked up to the barn. So I opened the barn gates and he walked over to the end of the barn where the light was, where I normally position him to do his eye drops. And I was just like, oh my goodness, that's so damn cute. (laughs) I, you know, I always get surprised with how easy things can be and how smoothly things can go when you're prepared and you have your shaping plan and you plan it out properly purely because I just had so many dramas with my horse King when I was a kid. Um, And, you know, other times as I got older before, like I shifted how I handled horses and worked with them, I'd know just how out of control and stupid the power battles with the horses can get. Seeing them be so willing and engaged and consenting in processes that I'm normally arguing with horses over It's just such a beautiful experience to have your horse, you know, work together with you on your team instead of constantly, you know, being, having to fight with them because you're trying to look after them and keep them alive. So he's still obviously like a little bit uncomfortable about the eye drops going in and it's being able to be aware of that and pay attention to it, trying to do it as quickly and smoothly as possible. What he would do is he would um, turn his head away until he was, like, it's almost like he had to psych himself up for me to do it. (laughs) So he'd turn his head away and I'd wait for him and when he was ready he would turn his head to me and then I would open his eye with my thumb and administer the drops that way. And so it's just, it's so beautiful to see that level of cooperation that the horses can give when they understand the process that we're going through. They know that it is a bit uncomfortable, but it's for them, not to them. And they have a, they have a choice in the matter that they can say, I am ready for you to put the eye drops in. It's not necessarily a choice of whether or not the eye drops go in. It's a choice of, I am ready. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for letting me get to this point where I could put the eye drop, where you could put the eye drops in and I'm ready for it. When we went to the eye specialist, he came off the trailer and he was absolutely frazzled. He was in a state, he was scared, he was anxious, he was very over threshold and um, there was never going to be any consent from him at that level of fear that he was at for being in a new place you know there was obviously horses there with in the stables and the boxes that were all whinnying to him and so it was kind of setting him off and the environment change was setting him off and he just didn't feel safe so the in those scenarios like 
then we're going to sedate and so that the, the vet can um, do what they need to do to make sure that his eye is okay. So there are like, you know, there is a sliding scale of what the interventions are going to look like that are based on environment and scenario, but where we can best practice, we want to give our horses the skills to have basic medical interventions without having to get into a power battle. And this is what we cover in our holistic horse handling program. Once we have the skills of what, how do we get a horse that feels safe, secure and connected and we get trust, faith and confidence and emotional agility, we get our cueing and our communication settled in, you know, what are those basics and those foundational needs to just look after a horse for like supporting them when the vet is attending them, the farrier, the dentist, and just their basic horse husbandry requirements to live a healthy life. And you know, just to make it easier for you and your horse so that you're not in a constant power battle together. Let's make training easy. Let's make training fun. Let's make, you know, the journey together nice. (laughs) I don't know what the correct word is there. Like, let's make the journey together fulfilling. Like, let's not have to be full of dread and disappointment and guilt at the idea of having to go down and work with our horses because, you know, you're always getting caught up in a power battle and you know maybe even sometimes never winning and just have a horse that's very difficult to manage or you know maybe you can manage the behaviors but you just are filled with dread and exhaustion just at the sheer thought of what you have to go through to be able to do anything with your horse. So we would love to hear from you, you know, how have your vet interventions gone, Um, your medical treatments, let us know, are you getting caught up in the power battle with your horse or are you finding a way that you can like get along, work cohesively together, enjoying each other's company. Until next time, happy trails. If you're loving what you're listening to on the podcast, you might be starting to recognize that trying to control your horse through submission-based training is the worst way to ask your horse to look after you. If you're working with or riding horses, you know how unpredictable and sometimes scary they can be. Unfortunately, most struggling horse riders make the mistake of thinking they can physically control their 400 plus kilo fur babies by moving their feet or spooking them into responding with flags and join up. Without giving your horse a reason to care about you and look after you, you will most likely end up with a horse that is disconnected at best, shut down or explosive at worst because they can't communicate their needs with you. Especially if you are already scared, worried or nervous handling your horse. That's why we've created our new free online training experience, Building a Connection with Your Horse. This is how I've gone about creating safe horses for beginners, no matter the breed or previous handling experiences. If you want to learn the secret source behind developing safe horses that care about you and look after you without trauma triggering training methods, register for our new training today at www.equestriummovement.com forward slash connection. 
and I will uncover the three big mistakes you might be making if you're trying to build a relationship with your horse and how you can start building your horse's trust and confidence in you as a leader worth following.